Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, I'm going to share a story that I read about and uh, that, that I frequently come back to in my mind. And that uh, this takes place uh, a few years before the death of Marlon Brando. Okay. This is a fictional story, no, non-fiction. This is, this, is, this is apparently a true story, according okay. to Ed Bagley Jr. Okay. Um, so it was a few years before Brando's death, back, back in the, uh, who, who died in, in 2004. Of course, if everyone's familiar with Brando for The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, um, countless other films. Uh, Dr. Moreau's Island. Yes. And, I mean, in he, a bad way. In a bad way. Yeah. He, I mean, he's he was a he was a crazy man, and uh, and his uh, he was an incredibly talented actor. But he was in some really bad films, as well as some really good ones. He was in some really scandalous films. I mean, he he was uh, he, he was a perfect Hollywood icon in, mm-hmm. in every respect. Uh, but uh, a few years before he died, uh, he uh, summoned uh, actor environmentalist Ed Begley Jr. to his Mulholland Drive estate. And according to, to Begley, uh, Brando wanted some feedback on a scheme to power his home with electric eels. Uh, and I guess he, you know, he contacted Bagley out of the blue because Bagley was, you know, yeah. was and, and still is into all sorts of green energy, mm-hmm. environmentalism, and it would seem like the kind of guy you would ask about this. But Bagley was, of course, dumbfounded by this because he's he's not a an advocate or or was not an advocate of uh, of powering your house with electric eels. So uh, he he told Brando, "Well, I'm not sure that can be done. I've never heard of anybody doing that." And uh, and according to to uh, Ed Bakley Jr., Brando grumbled, "Everything's no with you," and, uh, <laughs> and then and then dismissed him. <laughs> as, Do you as, want to know what else was no with Ed Begley Jr. that you know, he was so disappointed in him for? Yeah, was it late, was it weekly calls to say, "All right, how about this? How about woodchucks? Can woodchucks power my house?" And it's like, I don't think that's possible. It's like, oh, you won't allow anything, Begley. What's the matter with you? You're such a negative force in my life. Ah, Begley. You know, there's an aquarium in Japan that actually used electric eels to power a Christmas tree. I've seen this. the The video is pretty impressive. Of course, one of the the things here. And, and ultimately, the reason that uh, that Bagley was not able to say yes mm-hmm. uh, to Mr. Brando is that it's only powering that uh, that Christmas tree in bursts. Right. It's capable of uh, the electric eel, which is actually not an eel, but a type of uh, kind of a relative of the catfish, can pump out an alarming amount of electricity, mm-hmm. but in short bursts, because this has evolved uh as, as a means of, uh, or ultimately evolved as a means for the uh, the electric eel to to stun prey or potential predators, not to power Christmas tree lights or fancy Hollywood homes. Oh well, you know you can't blame him for thinking it up. Right. I mean, humans have been messing around with electric fish for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. Roman Emperor Charles V reputedly died from indigestion after eating an eel pie. So someone thought that that was a good idea to have a little electric eel pie. (laughs) I've not heard that one. Yeah. Uh, The Dutch Society of Sciences published a set of treatises in 1762 espousing the use of electric eels to cure headache pain. Yeah, I've also I read that the ancient Egyptian used the uh, torpedo, an electric marine ray, in an early form of electrotherapy to treat uh, to treat epilepsy. I give props to that one a little bit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, they were they were sort of onto something there. Yeah, I like that one. I could see that one picking back up again. Um, you know, animal rights issues uh, notwithstanding. I was thinking um, in a post-apocalyptic scenario in which electric eels and humans uh, survived. 
Oh yeah? yeah, yeah. And you carry one around in a tank on your back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, uh, another interesting case in Victorian times, parties were uh, apparently organized, and guests would form a chain to experience the shock of an electric fish. Because this is, there is something marvelous uh, about this. Here is this animal, this fish, this simple fish. Yeah. And it is producing this uh, this this product that powers our world. That's what I love about the Victorian age is I feel like they sort of finally peeled up their eyelids or had enough technology and knowledge that they were really starting to look at biology. Yeah. And, to, and particularly looking at, um, at creatures in the sea and finding out how wonderful and majestic and weird they were. So I can only imagine the sort of excitement that must have been. You know, where is it? We have our steampunk and various related punks. Where is our our electric eel punk? That could be a whole setting. You know, yeah. Victorian individuals walking around, a tank on their back with an electric eel in it or two, uh, somehow empowering their gadgets. There you go. Uh, we also have Benjamin Franklin and other pioneering scientists using eels, electric eels, to learn about electricity. So we can thank electric eels. So what we're talking about here are electrogenic uh, organisms. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's interesting. The, the, the electric eel gets most of the credit because mm-hmm. it, it is the most impressive example of, uh, of an electrogenic uh, organism. But we actually see quite uh, a few fish with this power. Now, there are more than 30,000 total fish species out there in the world, but uh, upwards of 350 are electrogenic. Right, so they're not that many. However, here in the Amazon, mm-hmm. then you're going to see many more of them, and it's sort of a, a common thing. Um, but yeah, across the board, there are not a ton of them. But there are six different lineages, uh, I believe. Uh, so it's it's the kind of thing. Yeah. That it's not like it involved in in one place. It involved uh, uh, they're, they're, uh, covergently in different uh, spots across the globe. Yeah. Now they generate their own electrical field using a specialized organ, and as you say, this is called electrogenic. And then fish that can detect electric fields are called electroreceptive. Now that doesn't mean that because they're electroreceptive, they're actually electrogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sort of like, you know, a test right here. It's not, you know, that doesn't automatically make that. It just means that they are a little bit more receptive to that field. Yeah. So we have this passive uh, electroreception, which evolves so that fish could detect weak, naturally occurring bioelectric signals, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, in their, in their aquatic environments. And according to Mark E. Nelson in Current Biology, electrogenic organs, uh, which, which we're going to talk about here, um, they properly originated with a set of highly active skeletal muscles that generated sufficient electrical activity to be detectable by the fish's own electroreceptors. And then this is used then for navigation and communication, which mm-hmm. we still see as being the primary purpose in a lot of electric fish. But then in some cases, this evolves into a strong electric um, uh, field that's used by strong electric fish to stun prey and or protect themselves. So we see this this evolution of this uh, this electric potential in 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 these creatures, and it's important to remember that uh, we're also ta- we're ultimately talking about the evolution of muscle tissue here, and even in in a simple human, our muscles are bioelectric essentially. So it's it's not like this is something that just came out of the blue, that's some sort of a magical property. It's just the escalation of uh, of of the uh, bioelectric nature of muscle tissue itself. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a bit about how this actually works. But I wanted to throw out there that some strongly electric fish are found in the oceans, including the electric stargazer, also mm. called 
Astroscopus, and certain skates and rays, such as the torpedo ray. You also have freshwater habitats, including the South American electric eel, electrophorus, and the African electric catfish, Metapetorus. Uh, most weakly electric fish are found in freshwater rivers of Africa and South America, and some species of marine skates and rays are also weakly electric. So they're widely dispersed. Yeah, some of the the the, uh, the, the weaker uh, electric fish are actually really interesting, and I think are often uh, overlooked. For instance, there's Peter's elephant nose fish mm-hmm. that has this weird little uh, almost looks like a little elephant trunk or some sort of you know extra long nose, but it's not a nose. It's uh, a sensitive mouth extension covered with electroreceptors, and uh, in the, the creature has poor eyesight and it uses a, a weak electric field which it generates uh, with the, with these uh, with these specialized cells to find food, navigate uh, all in this dark uh, uh, environment. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting that it used it in, in place of eyes to do that, as well as to communicate sometimes like sort of mating signals. Yes, yeah, mating signals play heavily into the into its usage among these uh, these uh, these weaker electric fish. And just to put a, a voltage on these uh, these more powerful electric mm-hmm. fish that we're talking about here, the electric eel, uh, I've, uh, you generally see 600 volts, sometimes as high as 650. Yeah. Um, the electric catfish that you mentioned, generally up to 350 volts, uh-huh. and electric rays, of which there are 69 species, uh, 8 to 220 volts. Yeah, now those electric eels, 600 volts, that's five times the power of a standard U.S. wall socket. Wow. So, so. if anybody has ever, as a child, <laughs> or even as an adult... You know, put your finger in a wall socket or put like a Christmas ornament in there. Then you can sort of understand the sort of jolt that you would get on the other side of that. In fact, that would pretty much like lay out a human being for a little while. Yeah. Now we're talking, it's a, it can be a big creature. We're talking six to eight feet uh, in length, but still it's, I think it's, it's easy to forget that they do pack that much of a punch. It's easy to think, oh, electric fish. How how powerful could it be? How much electricity could a fish generate? And it it basically comes out to what ten volts per foot of fish. Yeah, um, according to Michael Sussman, who directs the Biotechnology Center at the University of Wisconsin, a six foot long electric eel is basically I love this description a six inch fish attached to a five and a half foot cattle prod, <laughs> and that all those intestines and stomachs and all that stuff is right. Like right up close to the head. So the rest of the electric eel is essentially an electric organ. It's like 90% of that, um, of that electric eel's weight is the electric organ. Yeah, I love the way you put that. Like basically six inch fish with a bunch of, of uh, electricity producing meat attached to it. This was something that I recently did a, a blog post about the, um, the Monster of the Week post about the, the character Blanca from the Street Fighter games, mm-hmm. which is kind of this green ape that has a, the ability to shock. An aquatic uh, ape? Uh, that's my theory, is because okay. it would have to be aquatic, because yeah. you only see this kind of, uh, uh, you only see electrogenic uh, behavior in aquatic creatures. They need it, uh, they need the water as a conductor. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, he produces this shock. And so I was trying to sort of do the math. I was thinking, well, how much, if, if uh, an eel is doing, uh, 10 volts per foot, then how much electricity would a man-sized ape creature generate? But it kind of breaks down when you realize, all right, well, this, look how muscular this ape is. Like yeah. how much spare tissue does a Blanca have for, uh, the generation of electricity and to, and to, and to, to simply waste or spend on these specialized cells? Not that much. So, uh, 
yeah, believe it. So believe it or not, it's, it's really difficult to uh, to break down the hard science of how uh, this ridiculous uh, uh, creature from a video game would work. <laughs> it's still interesting, and I think a sort of view into how this has become so specialized. And uh, I wanted just to mention that the organ's tissue is a lot like muscle, but it can't contract, all right? And we'll talk more about that in a second. The cells are big, and they have all sorts of features that let them pump out electricity without shocking the fish. And the cells are stacked together like batteries in a flashlight, firing simultaneously. So that kind of gives you an idea of that process that's happening internally. Yeah, the, the crazy thing about the electric eel is that it is kind of, I mean, it's it's a really souped-up creature. Like it spent so, mm-hmm. so much of its biology is committed to this uh, this uh, offensive defe- defensive mechanism, but it has kind of made it a- almost undefeatable. I mean, it's really not a threatened organism, you know, except by by humans who have removed themselves from the the game entirely for the most part. Yeah, I like that idea of souped up like a monster truck, but instead of you know giant wheels, we're talking about like giant stacked up batteries. Yeah. Um, because as you had said, all muscle cells have that electrical potential and, you know, you just have a simple contraction of a muscle and you get a little bit of voltage. But Lindsay Traeger, a biologist who works in Sussman's lab, says that if you remove the ability of the muscle cell to contract, as we say, this happens in electric eels, and you change the distribution of proteins in the cell membrane, now all they do is push ions across a membrane to create a massive flow of positive charge. And they've been able to do this because they've had about a 100 million years to specialize these muscle cells into larger cells, which are called electrocytes. Now, the whole, um, you know, they're pumping out this electricity, and you mentioned how they, they largely avoid shopping, shocking themselves. Uh, this was this was really fascinating. According to Marky e. Nelson in Current Biology, the strongly electric fish, such as the electric eel, they do have these layers of adipose and connective tissue that uh, help electrically insulate their vital organs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in the electric currents that they produce uh, by the discharge, they tend to... Uh, follow the path of least resistance. So they flow around rather than through these tissues. But um, researchers have uh, uh, observed electric eels sometimes twitching in response to their own discharge. So it's huh. it's not perfect. There's like right. Sometimes those electrical uh, uh, currents that they're generating are going to, to tweak their own tissue. Um, and, and the fine timing of this mechanism is pretty uh, amazing. There's a when, when researchers have looked at electric fish, they they uh, they found that the uh, the pacemaker nucleus that controls the timing of uh, of the electric organ uh, discharges is one of the most uh, temporarily precise biological oscillators ever measured. So they, in a sense, electric fish like the electric eel, very precise timekeepers, and they have uh, they have pretty large brain uh, to body size ratios. Uh, so so some uh, researchers speculate that these are pretty smart creatures. Yeah, that's interesting that that adipose, that fat, is helping again as the insulation. Um, Sussman and other scientists, they they decided that they wanted to figure out how this kind of happened, as much as they could, right? Right. And they analyzed all the genes of the electric eel, and then they looked at gene activity in other electric fishes or fish from unrelated families, and they found that six different species evolved independent systems for electric organs using the same genetic toolbox. So we're talking about the same set of 30 genes, and if I'm understanding this correctly, it's that each of these six species were, in a way, recreating the wheel for themselves. 
as opposed to using a blueprint, which I thought was surprising because usually when we think about evolution, we think about evolution using that blueprint because it's much easier. And for instance, you know, we've got our our five fingers and um, you'll see this structure of bones and and fingers and arms in many mammals Mm -hmm. over and over again. So that was very interesting to know that there's a more of a Lego, rogue Lego approach (laughs) on this, allowing each species to kind of tweak their electric organs as needed. So what does this mean for the future? Because I know that uh, out there listening to us right now, Brando's ghost wants to know... (laughs) When, when uh, electric eels are really going to to help out around the house, um, or even inside uh, uh, the human body, right? So, and it you know it turns out that researchers are looking into this. Uh, researchers from Yale University and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, they actually envision synthetic eel cells with improved energy efficiency bundled uh, all together in a bio battery. Uh, so, it's, we're not yet quite to the point where we could we could build. Uh, artificial versions of complex cells, but the researchers have created a simplified battery based on the principles of the electric eel. Two artificial cells, each containing a salt solution with a lipid wall. If the salt concentrations are different, then poking the cells produces a slight charge. So laying the groundwork for the future of a an electric eel-ish bio battery. I hope they call it a Brando battery. A bra- yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that lipid wall, I guess, would be the thing that insulates it, right? Like the adipose mm-hmm. tissue. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, very cool. And then uh, another uh, possible use for this, and this comes from biologist Lindsay Traeger, who, um, uh, who was a part of that uh, study we were uh, discussing earlier uh, to, to look at the, the genome of mm-hmm. the electric eel. Um, according to her, we may reach the, the day where we could actually have little uh, electric organs uh, as, uh, built into, say, a pacemaker mm-hmm. to power it inside the human body. So, so again, it's kind of the bio body principle, the bio battery principle, except uh, taking place with uh, uh, at a much smaller scale inside the human body as a part of a pacemaker or, or other implanted medical device. And the reason you'd want to do this is that means that you don't have to undergo all these invasive procedures to replace those batteries or that pacemaker, ideally, right? right? And I love this idea. I just can't quite square it yet. Like, I'm thinking about this organ enfolding the pacemaker, and it, but it's, you know, it's been engineered to be this electric organ coexisting in a human body where there are weak electric fields. So, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't quite see how that would work yet. Yeah, because you really have to... In, in in creating a bioelectric cybernetic organ, you really have to then take into account that you're implanting it into a human, which is a, a still essentially a bioelectric organism yeah. itself. And how do you square all of that away? It seems to, to get pretty complicated pretty fast. But, I mean, we're already putting battery-powered electronic devices inside a, a human body, so... So eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll leave it to the scientists. And, yeah, and I think it's it's promising science. So, Mr. Brando... Wherever you are, um, Ed Begley Jr. may say no, but we're going to go ahead and give a, uh, a tentative yes uh, on this issue. All right. Um, do you guys have thoughts on this? Have you ever seen an electric eel in person? Have you been shocked by one? Do you throw Victorian retro <laughs> parties and uh, try this party trick out? Let us know. And in, if, indeed, if you have any examples of uh, electric eel punk uh, literature, um, films, uh, comic books, etc., I'd love to know about it cause, because I feel like that is a, a largely uh, uh, ignored area of possibility there. 
So, where can you find us? Where can you uh, look up all of our podcasts, our videos, our blog posts, etc.? You can find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the uh, the homepage. That's the mothership. You'll also find links out to our various social media accounts there, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, our YouTube account, which is Mind Stuff Show. And there is still an old-fashioned way to get in touch with us. So, uh, what, what can they do, Julie, if they want to hook the old computer up to an electric eel and uh, blast out an, an email? <laughs> Well, if you do that successfully, and I hope that you do, you can send that email to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 